Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. Engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. We were like little islands, every one of us. As soon as I walked in, I could feel how dense and negative the energy was in the work environment. One of the things I started to understand is I could no longer hold my energy space at work anymore. Slowly I was being eaten away. But where does that energy go? People think that it just dissipates. It never does. It lives in us. You will only be able to help people wherever you've been helped. The first step to self-healing is learning how mindful are you about your body, your mind, your emotions. Because most of us, whenever we have pain, we will ignore them. Hi, everyone. This is Fei Wu, your host for the Face World Podcast. Welcome to a brand new episode with Helen Chin Liu. Helen is a certified reflexologist, certified energy medicine practitioner, and teacher. She specializes in helping people of all ages to provide chronic digestive relief, chronic pain relief, and help them balance hormones naturally. In 2006, Helen founded The Healing Place in Medfield, Massachusetts. When Helen isn't healing, she's researching, she's teaching and writing. She also coaches self-care, self-healing, reflexology, Reiki, and chakra balancing workshops. As part of Helen's education program, she will be presenting for the fourth consecutive year starting in 2012 at the largest New England Annual Natural Living Expo on November 13, 2016, located in Marlboro, Massachusetts. This year, she will be presenting topics such as Are Your Emotions Eating You? Stop Negative Energy from Sabotaging Your Digestive Health. Most of my family, friends, and even colleagues know very well that personally have always been interested in massage treatments because growing up in Beijing, China, I had infinite access to massage therapists and reflexologists. It was part of my life and my family's life since I was a little kid. As unusual as it may sound, this part of my life lessons actually helped me tremendously as an adult. I have participated in various sports in high school and in college. These days, I practice taekwondo, yoga, swimming regularly, though these new sports don't necessarily bring me nearly as much physical trauma to my body. I, like most of you, still experience some level of stress and anxiety from work, so massage therapy remains to be a very big part of my life. It takes time to find a place, however, that's convenient for you, your family, as well as a therapist you can trust and rely on for optimal results. Before I spoke with Helen, I had very little knowledge of Reiki, self-healing, digestive well-being, 
But even none of these topics resonates with you just yet. I also invited Helen to speak to us about something all of us experience, which is wellness at work and how to avoid and balance situations that are unhealthy or toxic. Helen grew up in Boston in the 1950s, and um, she surprised me by sharing her upbringing stories as a young Chinese American growing up in the city. I hope you enjoy this healing conversation, and I'm sure Helen will be able to answer your questions. By the way, she provides 60 minutes free consultation, which you can schedule with her on her website. A link is provided with this blog post, or if you need a recommendation for a reflexologist near you, drop me a note on the blog post, and I'll be more than happy to help. Without further ado, please welcome Helen Chin Liu to the Phase World Podcast. excited to have you on, Helen, because during the past few days, I started to learn more about you since our initial connection. And to be honest, you know, as you know, I was born and raised in Beijing, China until I was 16 years old. And, you know, since I was born, as, as long as I could remember, this traditional Asian energy work, including cupping, foot massage, reflexology, and uh, learning that directly from my mom. And just that's always been part of my life. And much beyond that, since I came to the States at the age of 17, I basically continued pretty much that lifestyle shortly after I left Freiburg, Maine, where when I was still in high school and I wasn't, there weren't a lot of um, places where I could continue that sort of treatments and having people to talk to. But as soon as I got to Boston, I feel like it was such a sweet spot, you know, the, with the Asian population with, and, yeah. you know, introducing a lot of my friends into the practice as well, have them benefit that directly. So I'm glad to have you on. Welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, what amazes me about what we do here in Boston, so many of us still don't know what this is. I'm going to assume the way you were raised in China, it sounds like your parents expose you to more different ways of healing. And my mom came from the Canton, China area. So my mother's philosophy on health is, is soups. She used to make a lot of bone broth based types of soups. So every chance my mother had, um, she'd be making a soup. So whatever ails you, she'll make a soup for you. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was exposed to, but not to the hands-on work, which I find it absolutely amazing. And, and it's kind of funny or not funny in this generation, my generation and my mom's generation, everything goes towards, I would say, herb-based healing than hands-on healing. And when I even told my mom that I was doing this work back 10 years ago, she didn't even know what this was. <laughs> it's so intriguing, you know. And so before we kind of lead into our a little chat today and have the opportunity to educate listeners who are willing to learn more. And this is an area where I was hoping to blog a little more about as well, but I am no expert compared to you, Helen. A brief introduction is that, Helen, you're a certified reflexologist, certified energy medicine practitioner, and is it Wu Sui Master? Yeah, you, some people pronounce it uh, using, using Reiki. And one thing about Reiki work, 
energy work is relatively the same, more or less. You might use different symbols and different methods of holding your hands, but the intention for the healing is the same no matter which one you study under. Mm, Interesting. And as I mentioned before, Reiki is something that I feel like I don't know as much about, and uh, we can certainly introduce that to the audience as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, I also want to explore, certainly, you're the owner of the Healing Place based in Medfield, Massachusetts, and which was established in 2006. And you specialize in helping people of all ages to find long-term relief from chronic digestive relief, chronic pain relief, and balancing hormones naturally. And you are a member of the Massachusetts Association of Reflexology and Reflexology Association of America. So you've done a lot of work in the past 10 years and you've raised your children and put them through school and you're a very successful businesswoman. So I certainly want to get to that part as well. Did I miss anything else before we get started? Um, I don't think so. You know, one of the things I was going to teach you about, Faye, Mm. here you are, you come from China. I probably have more of an accent than you do. (laughs) (laughs) And I was born here. And I'm the oldest of five. Out of all my brothers and sisters, I'm the only one that has an accent. Can we talk about that for a second? Because you mentioned that you were born and raised in Boston. And you have very honestly told me about your age. And I feel like you have so much energy and you look very young. But tell us, what was it like for you to grow up in Boston? Was it unusual? Did, Did you see nearly as many people who look like you from where you were from at the time? Well, the Chinese population in Boston pretty much stay in the Boston area. So my mom's population, when they first came, the only jobs primarily they could find were um, laundry work. Back in the 50s, everyone had the laundry. And unfortunately, people didn't make enough money to survive on. So the men again left and they all primarily went towards the restaurant business. So my dad used to put in these ridiculous amount of hours. He worked six days a week, probably 12 hours, 13 hours a day. He just came home long enough to sleep before he turned this whole thing around. And then he only had that one day off. And the one day he did have off, he would spend his time cooking at home. So my family, my sisters and brothers, there's five of us, We all have a passion for cooking, every one of us. And my dad's been gone for 24 years. But I would say growing up in the 50s and 60s, we were like little islands, every one of us. And, you know, my mom back then, she was the survivor of the Japanese war, directly affected by the war. In fact, she still today... After 60 years later, she still has a lot of the post-drama syndrome as a war survivor. And so she has a lot of fears. So back in the 50s and 60s, there were so few of us. When we were in Boston, we saw more Chinese people in school. But once we moved to Brookline back in 1967, my elementary school that I went to, It was one Chinese family, that was us, one Japanese family, and one African-American family. And that was it. That's all the my own. And it was the strangest thing looking around and saying, oh, my God, Mm. we're the only ones. And in high school, where I grew up, 
only had one high school. At the beginning, uh, back in 67, 68, the Chinese population was very small. We grew up primarily in a Jewish neighborhood. And slowly, as they were doing more uh, what they call metro system, which they will bus people from parts of Boston to come to school as a metro program. So there was an exchange of minorities and slowly there was more black Americans, more Asian people uh, from 68 to 72. And now, you know, 40 years later, the school is a really mix with a variety of every single nationality. Isn't that fascinating? I, you know, this is, this is one question I always wanted to ask. Sounds kind of ironic, but even between when I arrived in the U.S., uh, right around 2000 till now, mm-hmm. there are so many more Chinese students. You know, there are so many different ethnicities, races that you see everywhere. And- yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and it also tells me that the world is becoming very global. I think every, just as you mentioned, everything is globalized. You know, relationships from when you're still in the school or to a more real, you know more serious relationship, marriages, and I think it's also the case with medicine, with food. And I love the fact that you are an expert in food. And I think food and you know meditation and energy work. I feel like all that is very neatly related and. So based on my observation, I worked in downtown Boston for an extended period of time because I was uh, working in marketing and advertising. So three out of uh, basically all three agencies at some point uh, were in downtown. It was very easy for me to just walk over to Chinatown in five minutes. Right, You mm-hmm. sit down, you order lunch for s- sometimes four, five, six dollars with a full meal, rice, oh, yeah. right, soup. And um, meanwhile, all my other you know American colleagues would be waiting in line at some sandwich shop for half an hour, getting a sandwich and a drink for 12 to 15 dollars. And after a little while, as you can imagine, they will follow me around and um, you'll be proud that sometimes as an add-on service, what I would do is direct some of them to get, uh, you know, like a light back massage, get a foot massage, it's something I really strongly believe in. Mm. And um, so let's talk about, let's jump right into that, if you don't mind. How do you work with uh, people who are going to v- work in a very stressful environment? Or what do you mean by neutralizing you know, negativity? How do you go about these things? Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my last job. I, w- I worked as an office manager in a nonprofit organization that dispenses education materials on depression, eating disorders, and alcohol. And as much of an environment that I learned so much on how to run my run a business, primarily as an office manager for six and a half years, but the environment was so incredibly toxic. We have people who all have their, not only the business agenda, but they also have what I call the personal agenda. And I knew this when I walked into the job in 2000, I walked in, as soon as I walked into an environment, the first thing I said to myself was, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did a, a 360 where I came back to a job that I had similar back in the early 80s. And I, as soon as I walked in, I could feel how dense and negative the energy 
was in the work environment. And I said to myself when I was there, I'm going to slot for two years. I'm going to get my experience and, and get out. After two years, two years became three, four, five, six. And the last year of working there, when I first started, I was so gung-ho. I had all these great ideas. I put a lot of systems in place. But each year, as the company slowly was draining me, and I knew I was being drained. That's what made it worse. I knew I was being drained. And the last year, not that I become um, not only physically, emotionally drained, I started to get sick. And I'm one of those people, I never, I don't get sick. In fact, the last 10 years of my business that I have now, I probably have had two colds in 10 years. So one of the things I started to understand is I could no longer hold my energy space at work anymore. So slowly I was being eaten away. And even though I tried to work with the various energies there is what I call the browbeater, the one that stands over you and constantly haunts you about your work. Uh, there's the one that, the one that tattletales. If something goes wrong, that person is the first to, to throw you under the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, the, the sabotager, uh, the people who sit next to you, around you, supposedly supposed to help you, and they're trying to constantly undermine you. Mm. So how do you hold your energy? Well, first of all, you've got to recognize who are these people and why they are in your life. And learning how to talk to these people is going to be key. Because most times when you're in a nasty work environment, just usually as you, as you decide which person is going to help you and which one is going to tear you down, the people that's going to tear you down, you have more of a tendency. You don't want to work with them. Simple as that. You just don't want to work with them. So how do you find the right people is going to be key and to attract the right people. And a lot of times with negativity, instead of learning how to increase and track more positive energy, more times than not, people end up becoming negative. Even if you come with good hopes and good desires, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden things starts to turn around, Mm -hmm. and you're not only absorbing negativity, you're also going, telling, doing as many negative things as possible to keep yourself protected because you're always afraid somebody's going to take your job or uh, undermine you. add a few things here because this is quite interesting and it's very applicable, very relevant to nearly everybody who will be listening to this podcast. So for instance, in an environment today for many different workplaces, I guess it's a benefit that a lot of them are project-based, meaning you don't often get to choose who you work with. You know, even as a project manager for my years or digital producers, I could 
to a degree, select and recommend people who are better suited for the project, right? So you have some leverage there. But for people out there who are basically kind of dropped into a project, not to say that people, sometimes the timeline, the budget or all that could be a little bit messy too, you know, added stress. And how could people go about, you know, working with the people they may or may not like during the day? And how could they kind of break away from that if that is their project? Well, how do you work in teams where you're finding the comparable vibration to help you? Well, the thing is, we usually we're just thrown together. Nobody ever sits and say, hey, I think so-and-so could work better with so-and-so because so many people don't understand how various energy personality work together and how they support each other. So if you have, let's say, two people who have enforcer energy, they're going to butt heads. They're just going to butt heads because usually when you have two enforcers or, or let's say a room of enforcers, their goal is to win you over with their ideas. Mm-hmm. And many times they're not, they're not really interested in what you have to say to contribute to make it a better project. So for example, a leader, uh, what I call a charismatic leader, they're the one that understands various energies. They understand, like for example, support people are people pleasers. They're the backbones of the company. They're the one that executes ideas. So they really want, they want the project to succeed. Mm-hmm. So by finding the right combination of energy is key for a successful team. Helen, I like where you're going because, you know, when you're younger and especially if I don't think age is even matters to the equation here because I noticed that the struggles I had in my 30s in you know in retrospect to my 20s are different but some of the themes are still the same where it's really easy you know kind of blame yourself to say wait a minute I'm older now I should be wiser and why do I let this get to me but I also think about the same thing of um, you know when I worked on the project if I felt like the energy unfortunately on my project is toxic what I end up doing is then I look outside of that team, especially when I cannot control my project, my clients, or my team. I look outside and say, wow, you know, Emily is a really interesting person to talk to. Let me go hang out with her. Let me learn a few things from her. You know, or Matt is this incredible person. I look up to him. And I feel like somehow it's not the perfect solution, but by proactively seeking out the group of people whose energy complement yours can really offset a lot of the uh, negativity. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Like, for example, last summer, I had a team of people. And so I put in practice all the things that I even teach my clients about in terms of energy personalities. So in my group, I had a sabotager. I had a people pleaser. My assistant was an enforcer. <laughs> and the person that helped me do graphics, she was um, passive aggressive. So she wanted to please, but it just was not a right fit. So the sabotager, he went away because I, I basically had enough. I said, this isn't going to work anymore. The people pleaser was trying to work so hard to do everything, but he was sacrificing his own time and health to trying to get things done. Mm. So that didn't work because he blew up. The assistant who was the 
enforcer, we had it out. You know, she basically told me she didn't like the way I did certain things. And so she decided that she was, she wanted to head all of these projects. And I basically said, no, I'm sorry, this is not going to work out this way. And, and so unfortunately we left. And the person who did my graphic, again, it just wasn't a good fit because she wanted the same things, but she did not know how because she was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I have a, two different teams. I have somebody who's helping me with my marketing aspect. So our energy is complementary. And the other person who's helping me with the SEO, it's well, very much like a rule keeper. We say well, this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get it done, and that's it. There's not a lot of things to talk about. So I'm okay with that. Anyway, so that's a problem with more times than not. When we develop groups of people, yes, we're looking at their qualifications, but we never look at their energy qualifications. And most people don't know how to do that. So that's the reason why in my last job, I was able to recruit people and I remember I had one buddy who said to me, Helen, you recruited people in your image. And I'm like, I never knew what that meant until years later. And I said, yeah, why wouldn't I? Because we only do things what we know. Mm-hmm. So if you come from a low vibration uh, platform, you're going to only more times than not only attract people of the same caliber as you. So quick question there, which is, you know, you had mentioned that a team of people, what I find, to be honest, even running my company, hiring just a few producers and, um, you know, a few people here and there, I must say that sometimes when you hire your friends and even your friends who whom you've known for a long time can be very challenging. So, yes. you know, in a way that I guess my question is who now that's a hiring and firing at your own company and if you were to interview them and do you think it's fair to say that that whole process and identifying the energy actually takes a lot of practice and it's okay to to fail and to move on and to then decide and work with a new group of people you know and you're right it's really hard to be objective uh, one of my team members, uh, the sabotager, I've known in my group, he, I've known him since I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So we have not necessarily a span of relationship over 50 years. It's been, it was concentrated at the beginning and at the end. But I knew it wasn't working out. I should have divorced him, I would say, at least five years ago, six years ago. But I was hoping and hoping and hoping. Mm-hmm. So one day beginning of the year, I made a decision. I didn't put any of the personal note into it and it just became a business move. The relationship was over six years ago and I was just being overly polite Mm -hmm. and I was stuck. Energetically, business-wise, I was stuck. And I knew if I did nothing about it, I would stay stuck, which would have been absolutely awful. Mm -hmm. But I just took the personal note out of it and said, this is what I'm going to do. And I thanked him so much for years of help. And, you know, we're still close today, but we just don't have the business aspect of it anymore. Mm -hmm. So staying objective is really difficult. I'm much better at it with clients than I am with people that I work with. But I've gotten to the point now, you know what, if the person doesn't fit 
the mold, what I need. I will let them go. I will talk to them. I will try really hard to make it work. But in the end, I could feel just this constant struggle. And also with for a small company, I think that's even amplified oh, yeah. to another degree because you are you are doing healing, right? You're not just running a company and leaning back on your couch. So you're doing a lot of the work. You're doing teaching. You're creating new products on your websites, as I can mm-hmm. see very clearly. I want to make sure that we get to your healing practice as well. I'm curious, how do you work with your clients? And I noticed that you generously offer a consultation too on your website and you see people probably face-to-face. How does that, how do you work with them, especially initially? Well, the first step is I have them fill out an assessment form. I am fairly intuitive. I could already feel somebody's energy before we start, we could start a couple of sentences, but we end up going into what I call an interviewing process. So I have them fill out a form because as soon as they fill in the form and I'm looking at the information, I already know more or less where the energy is stuck or sluggish. And to make it even more amazing, every single illness has a personality associated with it, an energy personality associated with it. For example, I work with a lot of people with digestive issues. And digestive people, more times than not, are very feeling, feely type of person, which means is they feel things sometimes to the point it hurts. They probably overanalyze a lot of the information. They are usually very helpful. They go out of their way to help somebody, sometimes to the point where they'll absorb somebody else's problems like their own. So at this interview, we start to talk about their health and I will ask them about their personality just to make sure that I'm on the right track. And depending on where they want to go with the healing process, what I also do is a lot of education. As much as I love to work with you, let's say doing Reiki, reflexology, or chakra balancing, I always tell clients, this is just a tool, one tool in your bag. If you decide to not to make any changes in your diet, or you don't want to do anything to manage your stress, how do you find balance? And most importantly, I teach clients how to move and recognize when the energies become blocked. Because as good as I am in terms of helping them, the cycle repeats over and over again until they get it. What are the signals that the energy is blocked for maybe this particular group of patients? Like, what do you notice? What should they notice? In order to understand somebody's situation, you have to be able to look at your own stuff. 
because this is something that I'm really passionate about when I teach my Reiki students, because I've trained probably about 100 students in the 10 years that I've been doing this. And I always, especially for those people who want to make a practice out of this, mm-hmm. I always tell them, you will only be able to help people wherever you've been helped. Mm-hmm. So if you come into the relationship with low vibration energy because you're stuck in certain situation, circumstances, or scenarios, you're going to only attract people that is pretty much comparable wherever you've been healed. So this is really fascinating. What I'm trying to do is give the listeners an idea of what it's like, the journey of working with someone with you or someone like you. And how often would you say that you need to see a particular patient? In this case, uh, let's maybe continue with a digestive problem. Oh yeah, I have those constipation people that will come in. I had this one call last month. Her mother is really uh, constipated to the point she's jaundiced. So her skin is actually yellow. Mm -hmm. And this woman, she works as a traditional nurse. And so she's looking for alternative healing for her mom because she's really concerned. Mm -hmm. So she comes in the next day and I'm working on her and I got all whatever was backed up in her intestines to start moving. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping that she would continue to come to see me again because, again, one session is nice, but it's not enough to help to reset the body. Mm -hmm. And what made it really interesting was the woman didn't come again Mm -hmm. because of money situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hmm. And that told me a lot of things about her personality. So I haven't reached out to her just to see how she's doing after a month later. I figured if she wanted to reach back out to me, then she can. I I think it's interesting because um, we, my mom and I, you know, as we're passionate about, um, you know, for instance, using cupping um, for your back pain, we tell our friends that, you know what, you can just look at the purple marks and say, oh, I don't necessarily feel better or I feel better now. It's a continuous process. And, you know, it's like treatment. It's like learning anything. The one-time deal never works. And even if at times a remedy the situation temporarily, it's uh, important to actually sustain a practice and treatments. Well, you see, this is the thing that people don't understand is the investment of time. Like one of the things I always explain to people when they come to see me, they always ask how many sessions it's going to take. When I was in reflexology school as part of my clinical work, I had to find 10 people willing to commit to once a week for 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. I wrote my thesis on can reflexology help to diminish or eliminate medication intake? So I went out to try to recruit people I knew who have various chronic pain. So the people I went after are the various arthritis pain, rheumatoid, osteo. I did a little bit of autoimmune issues too at the time. And I found no matter how much pain anybody was in, severe pain, Nobody needed once a week for 10 weeks. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Usually by the fourth or fifth session, once a week for five weeks, four weeks, the pain cycle breaks. So usually what I do right after the fourth session, 
I start to space out the sessions. So usually by sessions five and six, I see them every other week. Mm. Again, we evaluate to see if the pain has quieted down. Then seven and eight session is every three weeks. And after the eighth session, people are on maintenance. Mm. I always tell people, I love to see you come, but I also love to see you go. Mm-hmm. because this is not part of addiction. So how could anyone kind of tap into his or her own ability to self-heal? Well, the first step to self-healing is learning how mindful are you about your body, mm-hmm. your mind, your emotions. Because most of us, whenever we have pain, physical pain, emotional pain, we will ignore them. You know, we're all taught. I don't care who we are. We're all taught from little kids on. Oh, you have a pain? Oh, don't worry. It will go away. It will go away. It will go away. And then before you know it, things will be better. But where does that energy go? People think that it just dissipates. It never does. Mm. It lives in us. It stays until one day something breaks that routine and all those emotion erupts by acknowledging your past is going to be key to letting go and start the first step of healing. I am very fascinated by this, Helen. I think, you know, how passionate you are about your work, how interested you are in working, actually, and think about what a different environment it is sometimes in some of the Asian countries where women stop working and, you know, even in their 40s. And I've seen so much of that. And to a degree, it upsets me. It actually hurts my energy, too. So I'm glad you're doing this, Helen. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Yeah. You know, here I am at the age of 62. I feel like I'm just beginning. I know I'm going to expire really soon, but I got to finish these appointments before I go. I know in my heart, because we were all taught growing up that we have limited resources, we have limited outlook. This is absolutely endless. You could do anything. And this is what I tell every single client who comes and work with me. We could make these changes. Yes, it's going to take work, but there's nothing in life is relatively work. Effortless. Yeah, Yeah, effortless. I'm sorry. Yeah. Everything. This this is great. I think it's such a positive note to end on this podcast. So, yeah, thank you so much again, Helen, for your wisdom, for sharing your stories with us. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.